Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma. Tackling your stock-related questions this evening, uh, Rikas Riedas from PSG Wealth Remsich and independent analyst Jimmy Muyaha. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392. Email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks, gentlemen, for your time. I'm going to start with you, Jimmy. What has sunk in for you uh, in terms of how today's trading session has been? Unfortunately, I'm not carrying a sink like Elon Musk um, to demonstrate what I'm asking. (laughs) (laughs) Good evening, Zanachi, and good evening to our viewers. Um, I think the, the, the overall sense from the markets is there's still a bit of caution around what's happening, but the markets are starting to in, give signs of settling. We're seeing signs of um, some equity markets looking to um, or appear to have bottomed out in certain areas. Um, we're seeing that uh, on the currency side of things, uh, yesterday's midterm budget policy statement was quite positively received for the RAND. We've got the RAND below key levels against all major currencies, um, back below 18 against the dollar, uh, closed out there yesterday, back below um, 18 against the, uh, the euro as well, and edging closer to um, sort of the 20 RAND mark against uh, the pound. So overall, I think the consensus at the moment is uh, while there is still a bit of uh, lingering concern around the inflationary pressures. We're seeing that the markets for the moment are showing a bit of reprieve and uh, some sectors are showing uh, indications that they might be bottoming out and might be looking for good buy opportunities. Yeah. We did have um, US GDP quarter three, the print out today, surprising to the upside with growth of 2.6%. Analysts had expected 2.3%. Um, just looking at how the Fed will have its meeting next week and of course that comes days before the midterm elections um Rickus, do you think on your side that they will have to ignore all the political noise around them um it's difficult for them to do that so i think there will be um, um some taking in, you know into account of that i mean a prime example of a central bank doing that is for example canada yesterday where they um increase their rates less than expected and that as far as i'm concerned was a purely political um, decision rather than driven by anything fundamental of course um, you, you know as far as our own local market is concerned yeah you know i agree with jimmy there, there seems to be a sense of things settling down i'm a little bit more worried about what's happening in america at the moment because the the talk at the moment is all about a Fed pivot, in other words, signaling some kind of um, accommodation as far as markets are concerned. I'm a little bit worried that it might just turn out to be um, the third time this year that we've seen a bear market rally. Because for any rally to be or to not be a bear market rally, one has to see um, a number of things. One, which is sector rotation, where people actually start buying into into high growth sectors. And we're not seeing that. In other words, the American market rallying at the moment is still in the value sector, and that just means investors are still cautious about things. Um, so although things are looking good heading towards that um, that meeting, I'm still worried that we're at the moment just recovering from 
an oversold position rather than turning the corner. Yeah. Talk about investors hiding in value. We've seen the pressure that the Nasdaq has gone under today and even yesterday uh, with the disappointing tech earnings that we're seeing. Yesterday was Alphabet and Microsoft and today markets are bothered about Meta. Uh, what have you, what's your view on, on what's, what the tech companies have been coming out with, Jimmy? Well, I think the, the the tech space, much like some of the other sectors, has been under a lot of pressure um, as of as of late. And the numbers that have been coming out are ever so important at this stage. If we look at the fact that forecasting for these tech uh, giants is is the big thing, um, looking at the next financial periods or the next reportable periods for them. Um, if you look at what's happened with Meta, I mean, uh, I think t- uh, to date since. Meta's gone on this metaverse drive and all of that. Um, the share price has wiped out about $680 billion uh, of valuation uh, for, the, for shareholders. And that's, that's not a, a very good thing um, at this stage. And Meta's not showing signs of letting up on their plans for the metaverse, even though the metaverse at this stage, um, some of their um, sectors are unprofitable. Um, but what we're seeing overall from the tech space is uh, there isn't a clear indication. And um, Rick has mentioned this um, very clearly just now is that uh, even though we are seeing a bit of reprieve, there is no clear sign that the bear market is over, the bear trends are over. If you look at the NASDAQ, it's been finding support at the 11,000 points mark, maybe 11,200, but there is still very, very clear um, downside risk down to possibly 9,000 uh, points as well on the NASDAQ. And I think at this stage for companies, um, particularly if you look at the U.S.'s um, financial situation, although the U.S. Uh, Fed might look to pivot, we, we can um, almost certainly say that even if the U.S. does take a more uh, tapered approach and slows down on the rate hiking cycle, um, it's going to be a very long time before they go for um, decreasing rates. So they'll still hold rates at that particular level, um, even if they stop hiking rates. But um, what that means for markets as well is that you're, you're still going to see that the U.S. is still dealing with wanting to avoid uh, a recession. Uh, if they do go into uh, a recession, it could potentially be as the catalyst to a global uh, recession because the U.S. economy has been um, the leading economy on this inflationary conversation to date. And so if they start to then have those increased in, uh, recessionary concerns, which they, the Fed, to their credit, have said that they've managed the situation all right to the extent that they don't foresee an immediate uh, recession concern, uh, unlike what we're seeing out of uh, the ECB in Europe. But at the same time, given that the markets at this point have not given um, any clear indication of having bottomed out completely, it's still very much uh, an open game as to whether or not we will hold here for the short to medium term or whether we'll push even lower. Yeah, talking about how the markets are still searching for that bottom. And of course, now um, a big thing with that is, is, is and with the global slowdown, um, investors will be assessing the uh, earnings that will be coming out. So quite a fitting question here. Given that analysts expect equity returns for the next decade to be single digits, would it make sense to exclusively invest in bonds for the next decade? Rickers? Um, no, um, I think... Historically, and just as a matter of sensibility, um, equity markets have always been geared towards growth. Um, it might not happen in the next two years or next three years or next four years, but if you lock in a, a reasonable return right now just because you are afraid of what's happening right now, um, the opportunity cost, in other words, the, the um, chance that you are going to miss out on growth is just far too big. 
Nobody ever gets rich by investing in bonds, if you understand what I mean. All they do is avoid um, short-term risk and what they give up is the opportunity to actually grow. Um, unless you think that the whole world is ex-growth, which I don't think it is. So, um, so that kind of reasoning, um, because, you're, because you think you can foretell 10 years into the future is... Yeah. Um, yeah, is <laughs> I'm thinking of a nice word that doesn't include <laughs> crazy. Yeah, um, you cannot you, you cannot do that. In other words, uh, bind yourself to that kind of outlook. I mean, it's it's um, yeah, it's impossible to forecast the future. Who would have said three years ago or four years ago that we're sitting with COVID yeah. and and Russia and Ukraine tearing itself tearing themselves to pieces? I mean, it's absolutely yeah, um, yeah. That kind of tenure outlook. Talking about um, the yeah, not sensible. Yeah, talking about the future. Um, there's someone who's wondering about the future of Brian Joffe. Any rumors what the serial entrepreneur is going to do next? Uh, Jimmy, do you have any insights on that? <laughs> any <laughs> no, intel? no, no. Brian and I haven't sat down. <laughs> oh yeah, to, we haven't had a conversation. <laughs> we haven't got <gotten> coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't haven't gotten around to having coffee. <laughs> Yeah, all right, good. Thank you, thank you very much for that. Um, there's a question here on Pick and Pay and NAMPAC. We'll actually start with Pick and Pay. Uh, since Pick and Pay's drop of 10% a week or two ago, that was about a week, yeah, um, it has been on a steady uptrend. Would the panel recommend buying into this rally? Rickus? Well, I think if I can start top down, in other words, do you want to be in in your sort of basic retailers. And I think with the budget outlook and, um, you know, the extension of, of, of the um, grant, there's probably some, I won't call it even relief, but less pressure going forward on the margin of those retailers, whether it be ShopRite or whether it be Pick and Pay or, or, or even to a certain extent, things like Clicks and, and Discam. So certainly it looks better than it did, let's say, a week ago, going ahead for the next 6 to 9 to 12 months. Where the pick and pay is um, the favourite one in that respect. From my side, um, I would have, you know, a year or two years ago, I would have said no. Obviously, with new management and with a slight um, refocus of the attention, you know, with, with their boxer line opening up and things like that, it's certainly not the same kind of company. Mm. Although I still think that the competitive environment hasn't changed, where they, as I've always said, they are stuck somewhere between Shoprite and Willings. They have to protect their bottom line from your lower um, margin retailer, than, you know, or your lower LSM Shoprite um, client, and they've also got to try and attack the Willie side of things. So yeah. They are fighting a battle on two fronts, and that's never a good idea. So, so um, I'm still not convinced of pick and pay going forward. Although, as I've said, it's certainly a company that's changing its spots, and that makes it more interesting to me at the moment. All right, Jimmy, yes or no? Do you buy into the rally, or do you wait for it to dip? It's not a shop right at the end of the day, also. 
Look, at the end of the day, um, ShopRite at this stage is uh, trading at quite a high value. Uh, ShopRite has been doing exceptionally well. Um, the consumer space, if we're going to have a look at things around recessionary concerns, uh, slowdown in growth, increased inflationary pressures, at the end of the day, um, consumer retailers like uh, Pick and Pay, like Spa, like Woolies are always going to be necessities people are still going to always need to buy food regardless of the LSM that they sit in. Whether or not I'd go for pick and pays versus someone like a spa at this stage, I think I'm more impartial towards a spa. I do like pick and pays um, value proposition, uh, but I feel like if we have to look at the way ShopRite approached their market with what they've done with the supply chain um, integration, what they've done with the various uh, store integrations and LSM integrations across their various brands, I think pick and pay came to the party a little too late there. So I'm inclined to agree with Rick as to say, at this stage, I'd want to see more from them. I'd want to see more of a competitive edge from them before committing to them over uh, another retailer at this stage. There was a second part to that question for pick and pay. Any reason for Nampak's rise of 12%, 16% at one stage uh, rise today? Rickus, do you have any idea? Um, not specifically. They had one heck of a drop after the announcement of their results which which wasn't well received um i've just had a quick little look at the graph i think it's basically recovered um uh, just on on buying in from that there's nothing fundamental that i know about it and i wouldn't trust this <laughs> increase over the past um few days yeah further than a few days ahead yeah all right well let's move on um to mtn does the panel view mtn as a good recovery stock jimmy well, MTN, it's, it's very difficult to not be a fan of MTN. They've outperformed their peers consistently throughout this COVID period. They've outperformed in other African regions. Um, you look at MTN Ghana, you look at MTN Nigeria, they've done exceptionally well. Um, so MTN, from a telecoms perspective, uh, always going to be a good stock to look at. Um, I think their growth prospects as well, in terms of expanding and uh, increasing their market share within the African space, um, that for them has been a big focus. And that for them has served them really, really well to the extent that you've seen guys like Vodacom almost try to replicate that type of expansion with what they've done in the Egypt uh, market for them. So I think M MTN always going to be a good thing. It's just about finding the right price and the right value um, to see where you'd, you'd best be uh, suited to get in. Hmm. Um, there is a question on EOH. Uh, may I please have the panel's view on EOH results and the looming capital raise, uh, the rights issue? So operational, operationally, it seems that the machine is um, doing quite well. Of course, um, now they want to sort out the last bit of their headaches, and that is their debt. Um, Rickus, your thoughts? And, and, and do you think that these numbers are good enough for investors to start dipping their toes back into EOH again? Okay, as a, as a more conservative investor, if it wasn't for the debt, I would say yes. I mean, it's, it's obviously a company operationally on a turnaround. Mm. But um, if you have that amount of debt dragging on you the whole time, um, any advance is going to be limited by that concern. And in an environment of... of um, increasing interest rate and interest rate volatility, the last thing you really want is debt. Um, my stock pick later on will sort of link up to the EOH story. Um, but let me just say then about EOH that 
um, let them sort out their debt problems and then we can start looking at it. Um, and the rights issue, Jimmy? Yeah, look, I mean, at the end of the day, I think um, Rick has hit the nail on the head there where he said that anything that you do is going to be capped in terms of potential benefit. And that's to the extent of things like rights issues and things like um, going out and seeking new capital on other frontiers. You, you have to be able to maintain and control the debt, particularly in a volatile time like this. Um, similar to what Rick has said, my stock pick is very much in line with that around um, companies that aren't heavily in debt, purely on the basis of the fact that the inflationary environment that we find ourselves in, the, in, the, the, the situation where we're hoping for a more relaxed environment and the ability to repay debt um, quicker or more eff effectively, that's not going to clear up anytime soon. That could be with us well into the next 12 months, possibly even 18 months. Um, we didn't expect it to happen this quickly, and we can't expect it to um, sort of reverse itself this quickly as well. We've seen that in the past that countries like the U.S. have had to hike um, their interest rates above where their inflation levels are sitting in order to get the inflation to start moving um, in the direction that they wanted to do in terms of uh, coming down. And if that's the case, and the U.S.'s inflation is sitting at um, 8 to 10 percent, and their interest rates are only sitting at 4 uh, to 5 percent, then they, they still have a long way to go there as well. So I think the, the, the environment that, we deal, that we're dealing with now is a very different environment to what we can expect. We came out of uh, something like the 2008 financial crisis out of. And as a result of that, if we have to look at companies that are sitting with um, heavy levels of debt and unsustainable levels of debt or even difficult levels to manage, uh, regardless of whether they're on the JSE, whether they're unlisted or whether they're state-owned entities, it's going to be very difficult for companies like that to really start to show um, a significant enough turnaround or significant growth. I mean, if you look at EOH, uh, the share price at the moment sitting at, I think, at around 4 Rand 30 or something. Um, Pre-pandemic, we were sitting well above 24 Rand. So it just shows you that, yes, EOH is trading at a discount at the moment, but it has been sort of consolidating uh, below sort of the 10 Rand level since uh, the pandemic started in 2020. So to be consolidating below this level for such, such a sustained period of time clearly shows that in order for the stock to then turn and start to move in the positive, um, something needs to be done about that debt. Mm. All right, let's look at the, un the other side of the spectrum. Uh, companies that have benefited from this environment, uh, Shell and oil companies. So, of course, coming out with their third quarter results today, uh, reporting profits of $9.5 billion for the third quarter compared to $4.1 billion in the same quarter last year. Um, would now still be a good time to get in or is it too late? I saw those earnings. They're still quite high, but uh, they've, they've, they've come off from the record highs that we did see in the second quarter. Rickus, do you think it's, uh, the boat has left if, you, if you're not in those stocks already? Yeah, I, was I, was, I was talking about forecasting. Unfortunately, I have to sort of forecast a little bit. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, to me, it's a 50-50, it's a and I... But I tend to lean towards that it's not too late to get into energy stocks. And that's based on two things. First of all, I know Europe at the moment um, has avoided an energy shortage. But that doesn't mean that they are going to get away from energy prices. Um, they will, you know, it's never been a problem. And I'm talking Europe specifically in, in not having enough oil or not having enough natural gas. Mm. The problem is the price you're paying for it. 
um, the gas reserves they've built up will be depleted. It will have to be um, refilled um, come summer in the Northern Hemisphere. And um, the pricing power at the moment are in the hands of the oil companies and of the oil producers. So um, in the short term, I still think um, present weakness might be a very good opportunity to um, still move into these companies, whether it be Tata or whether it be locally like yeah. a company like um, Sassel. But that really depends on this view that I have. And of course, I can be wrong. Yeah. And of course, logistics, also one of the sectors that has really benefited from this kind of environment. Santova seems to be one of the most underrated stocks on the JC, less than 5PE. This is a screaming buy. Uh, Jimmy, is Santova screaming for you? Well, I mean, I think if you look at the, the logistics space and what that space is going to be driven by at this stage is um, it's going to be very much focused on supply, supply chains and the ability to um, actually move what needs to be moved. I mean, a, lo- a lot of the logistics space relies on the delivery of uh, certain things, certain goods, um, and whether it's to export terminals, whether it's coming into the country and that sort of thing. And so the logistics space is going to be very um, demand-driven or supply-chain-driven, and if we're seeing um, the continuation of those disruptions across the globe, whether it's coming from Asia, whether it's coming from Europe, whether it's coming from the West, then I think your your logistics companies um, are going to find themselves in a situation where they're ready and able to work and have the capability and capacity. There's no doubt they could probably meet the capacity, but it's a timing issue, um, much like um, something like the copper space at this stage with what's happening in the copper space. It's, it's a timing issue, and that timing issue is what's going to be a bigger driver because that timing issue affects revenue. It affects your ability to realize revenue regardless of which sector you're in. So I think from a logistics standpoint, um, there will always be the need for those logistical um, services and those logistical companies, but it's around the severity of the supply chain disruptions and whether they continue into uh, sort of the new year and into the new um, financial conditions. All right. And talking about copper, um, uh, can you please give updates about the copper shortage globally um, to the market and the well-timed new listing of copper 360, a big tree copper. Those are on Alt-X. So well-timed, Rickus? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's, um, I think for most resource counters, I think, um, we all know the story that there's been severe underinvestment in in um, in green and brownfield um, um, mining, whether it be in copper, whether it be in oil, wherever. So um, that is probably not a bad time to list. Um, and even though I think the China growth story has gone, the China internal investment strategy driven by Xi Jinping is not over. So um, and they're going to need stuff like copper. So, yeah. so I don't think in the sort of medium term we've got a, that much of a problem coming out of China. And as I said, and, and there literally is um, yeah. production missing out, you know, or not enough production going on at the moment, um, yeah. or at least sources of copper. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, 30 seconds each for your stock picks. Jimmy, what will it be? Um, capital appreciation, 
very, very small stock relative to some of its peers at the moment. But what I'm liking about it is it is the fourth largest stock on the JSE by market cap in terms of the ICT space. Uh, market cap sitting at around 2.2, uh, 2.1 billion, just under Alviva, which is about 2.2 billion, but Alviva is trading at around 18 Rand. Uh, the three stocks higher than its data tech trading at around 37 Rand. Um, capital appreciation sitting at around 1 Rand. 40 at the moment. Um, what I'm liking there in particular is the fact that they have no debt. They have no debt. They're cash flushed. They're very, very well resourced in terms of assets. Um, their PE ratio is trading at about 10.3 times just below the industry average of about 10.5, mm-hmm. 10.8. And for me, what that says is if there's opportunity in this market with all these uh, stocks and companies trading at really, really low valuations, it's a really good opportunity for a company like Capital Appreciation to have some really good strategic acquisitions over the coming year, and those acquisitions could prove to be very fruitful. But the mm. fact that the the lack of debt within the company uh, sits there means that whatever happens on the interest rate side of things is going to have very little effect on them, yeah. and whatever cash they're holding is going to be earning at a higher interest rate. Right. So. Safer bet for this week. All right. Uh, your safe bet for this week, Rickus? We're talking about EOH, my stock biggest, Ultron. Ultron is a company um, that was in the EOH position a number of years ago, where it was a mess. Teton uh, Yati came in. He, um, even the kill, in other words, he got rid of um, what wasn't good, kept what was good, specifically people, and steadied the um, ship. He's left, which which I think disappointed the market and me. But with the appointment of Cap as a new CEO, ex Data, um, it will be geared to what they have as far as talent is concerned. They have very, um, they have a manageable debt level, and the potential of Ultron um, going forward and changing its in, uh, its income profile as it gets more asset light as they move into cloud has changed the nature of the company. Yeah. Um, pretty good set of results um, two, two or three days ago. So it is a bit of trust that you have in management going forward. But it's a company that has gone from being stabilized to having the potential of growth. And they don't have the baggage of a heck of an amount of debt like EOH growth. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and your analysis today. Thanks to my guests, Rikas Riedas from PSG Wealth Remsek and independent analyst Jimmy Muyaha. Do join me again tomorrow for the Friday edition of Stockwatch. The show now is live at 1 p.m., but do send questions just before that. Have a good evening.